Hey folks, listen up. I want to tell you about this amazing service called OneRep. OneRep removes your private information from Google and more than 150 people search sites. If you've ever gone through the painstaking task of requesting for those people search sites like PeopleFinder to remove your information, then you know firsthand how sucky that is. And if you haven't done it before, then you're leaving your privacy up for grabs. Herein enters OneRep. OneRep will do all the heavy lifting for you so that you never have to bother sending in any letters of request or submitting a form online. They even send you a detailed report every month that tells you exactly how many sites your information has been found on, how many sites it has been removed from, and how many more are left to go. And here's the best part for me. You can even protect your family of up to six people by choosing OneRep's family plan. This is what I use to protect my family's privacy and I could not be happier. So I want to extend this offer for you to try OneRep for yourself and get up to 60% off. You heard that right. I said 60%, not five, not 10, but 60. Take advantage of this discount and click on the link in the show notes to start securing your privacy today. I've been wanting to tell this story since the day I found out about it in January. It was such a shocking way to begin the new year, and I was just crushed that such a horrible murder would happen to a child. I found myself scouring the internet to read every article and watch every news clip I could find. I was relieved to see that the case had garnered so much media attention, but two things stuck out like sore thumbs. The first being that the police seemed to have few to no leads about who killed this girl. And two, there was a terrible cloud of negative energy that surrounded this case, filled with respectability politics and judgment. The cause of some of this confusion is the general perception and misunderstanding about sex work. This really seems to be the crux of the public's transition from outrage and shock to judgmental indifference about what happened. While I hope this is known and obvious to most of my listeners, I've come to realize that there are a lot of people who truly don't know the difference between sex work and sex trafficking. I've even heard some people use sex work and sex trafficking interchangeably. Of course, this is incorrect, but I can kind of see how it happens. But really, the difference between these two descriptions is simple. It boils down to consent. Adults can consent to sex work and children cannot. Although, I would argue that a whole lot of adults labeled as sex workers are actually victims themselves, but that's a conversation for a different day. No, children are not prostitutes, even if they engage in the same behavior of consenting sex workers. The children society is tempted to call prostitutes are actually sex trafficking victims, and there are no exceptions, rhymes, reasons, songs, dances, ands, or buts about it. You must keep this important distinction in mind before I even begin to tell the story. The reason for this is also simple. I want you to keep the child at the center of this tragedy in your mind, front and center. Remember what it was like to be a teenager. Remember that not everyone reacts to trauma and grief in the same way. And also remember that not everyone has the privilege and support to deal with or overcome that trauma. 
I know how easy it can be to dismiss children whom we believe behave poorly, but we essentially dismiss and blame girls when they find themselves in unthinkable situations that you and I can't even imagine. Society is so quick to call them fast, promiscuous, and easy, but that knee-jerk reaction is wrong on every level, and I want you to listen to this episode without those biases. I want you to listen with compassion in your heart for this child and her family. Listen to understand that this girl was a victim of some of life's harshest and most devastating events. Remember that not only was this child dealing with those things, but so was her family. Please also keep in mind that having a family equipped with ample resources is a privilege not afforded to the family in today's episode. Everyone involved needed the security and support of the institutions established to supposedly help victims and their families. But instead, everyone was cast aside, ignored, and charged to deal with all the trauma on their own. They were let down and failed abysmally. And in my opinion, they are still being failed. So before you cast the stones of judgment, I implore you to think again. Today's episode tells the story of 16-year-old Tiani Theus, a girl transitioning into womanhood alone and unguided after facing immense trauma. Before Tiani's untimely death, she experienced debilitating difficulties and found herself falling prey to predatory sexual behavior, and sadly, her young body was found discarded on the on-ramp to a South Central Los Angeles freeway. Tiani's case remains open and unsolved with her family fighting the hard fight for justice. I'm Renetta Rideout, and this is Misogynoir Motives. It was a typical Los Angeles morning, with light gray clouds stretched across the sky. It was early, just before 8 on January 8th. LA is known for its horrendous traffic, but at this time of day, there aren't many people on the road. There are a few folks out and about, but it's the type of open road Angelinos delight in. So drivers making that right turn onto the 110 southbound freeway could plainly see something I imagine they wish they could unsee. Just on the Manchester on-ramp lay the body of a young girl. I don't know what condition the body was in, but Amy Powell for ABC7 News reported that the California Highway Patrol, aka CHP, dispatched officers because drivers getting on the freeway reported that a body was there. Now, because the body was found on the freeway, that meant the investigation fell within the jurisdiction of the CHP and would be investigated by their major crimes unit. Investigators confirmed that the body was that of Tiani Theus. She was 16 years old and had been shot in the neck and her small body dumped on the freeway. I can only imagine that questions swirled through the minds of detectives, probably like they're swirling in your minds now. Who would do such a thing and why? Had this child been abducted? Was she a sex trafficking victim? Was she in the wrong place at the wrong time? What were the events that ended Tiani's life 
on the side of a freeway. Police had the task of retracing Tiani's movements in the days, weeks, and months leading up to her death. As investigators dove into her background, they learned that the last two years of Tiani's life had been full of trauma, pain, depression, fear, heartache, and teenage rebellion in response to all of the above. It all began back in the spring of 2019, when Tiani was just 14 years old. She lived with her beloved mother, Teresa, in Compton, where the two lived a charmed life together. Although they were close to their family, Teresa and Tiani moved to a different beat. Their cousin Rashida Kinsey told me that while most folks were eating beef and pork for meals, Teresa and Tiani were keen on lamb and ate that well and regularly. Teresa was known for cooking lamb tacos and all sorts of things. She was the type of mom who enjoyed cooking meals with love and flavor for her precious daughter, including yummy desserts like homemade bread pudding. Yes, the two were totally inseparable. So much so that Teresa actually worked at Tiani's school, where Tiani was an A student. While some kids might be bothered by their mom working at their school, that close proximity to her mom throughout the day was a welcomed privilege in Tiani's eyes because she simply adored her mom. It had been her and Teresa, and Teresa was Tiani's world. Teresa loved being able to watch her beautiful daughter blossom and grow academically. Tiani was a popular student, known not only for her academic performance, but also for being a silly, fun-loving girl. She loved to dance just like her mom and could be seen dancing and laughing down the halls of her school. Tiani expressed herself well through dance and did so often. She and Teresa were known for coming home from school, having a nice cool beverage, and dancing around in their living room. Middle school Tiani was living her very best life and her whole young world centered around her mom. But in March of 2019, that all changed when Teresa had been walking in the neighborhood, minding her own business. As she walked the familiar route, a reckless driver carelessly rammed their car into her and drove off, never to be seen again. Left in their dust, Teresa was broken, bloody, and in need of immediate medical attention. The hit and run took place at an intersection close to Teresa's home, and as Tiani and her cousin headed to Tiani's house after skating, Tiani saw a glimpse of something familiar at the crime scene and immediately recognized that the victim on the ground was her mom. It was in that precise moment that Tiani's life abruptly changed course. When it was all said and done, Teresa had sustained debilitating injuries that, if she survived, would leave her having to start over again. Thankfully, Teresa did survive, but she was trapped in a coma fighting to regain consciousness as her body healed. What happened to Teresa threw Tiani's whole existence into a world she didn't recognize. She struggled with the reality of things and couldn't bear to even visit with her mom. She seemed to intrinsically know what the rest of her family had not come to terms with, and that was that she believed her mom was gone and would never be the same. I don't know exactly what went through Tiani's mind, But life as she once knew it was snatched away in the blink of an eye. And this new life she found herself in was dark, unfamiliar, and unknown. Tiani stayed with another cousin the first four days following her mom's accident, but then went to stay with Rashida, who was actually Teresa's first cousin. 
The two have always been close and spent a lot of time together. They talked all the time, and even now Rashida visits and talks to Teresa regularly. Rashida and her four boys live in Lake Elsinore, a lake city about 63 miles southwest of Compton, which is where Tiani lived with her mom. Lake Elsinore is a quiet place, and Rashida thought the change of scenery would be good for Tiani, and the rest of the family agreed. So Rashida made the grueling 69-mile commute every day to Carson, where Tiani attended middle school. The new arrangement seemed to work out at first. Even though Tiani was obviously going through something horrible, she still tried her best to play with Rashida's boys and be herself. But after only a few weeks, the cracks began to show. The commute was tough, and at the same time, Tiani felt isolated from her friends. She yearned for her mom and the familiar life she once lived. Things were becoming strained and Tiani began to withdraw emotionally, closing herself off from those she'd always been open with. Her smile wasn't as bright, there was no reason to dance down the halls, and her grades began to slip. Tiani would just break down in class, crying inconsolably. When I heard that, I could see Tiani in my mind's eye trying to self-soothe quietly in a corner. I don't know if that's how it was, but that's how I saw it in my mind, and immediately I got tears in my eyes. It's just a terribly sad image, and my heart broke all over again for Tiani. On top of the internal turmoil that she endured, things between Tiani and Rashida got intense. They argued about things like Tiani's wardrobe. She fancied short skirts, and Rashida didn't. And they argued about who Tiani was hanging out with. It also didn't help that Tiani began cutting school, which didn't do her falling GPA any favors. This, of course, was another argument. The once seemingly ideal living arrangement was proving to be more of a challenge than anyone expected. And things had escalated to the point that Tiani and Rashida just yelled and screamed at each other. Now, some of you listening may recall giving your own parents or caregivers the blues as a teen. I know these arguments are pretty universal and pretty much expected when raising a kid, but it's important to remember that while the normal teen stuff was at play, the biggest driving force behind Tiani's behavior was that she was grieving and afraid. She missed her mom so much that she just ached inside. That ache contributed to her rebellious behavior and caused her to lash out. It was clear to Tiani that living with Rashida was not going to work for whatever reason, and she wanted to leave. However, the rest of the family was reluctant to take her in, so she upped the ante. When Tiani would visit with other relatives, she'd tell stories trying to convince them to let her stay with them. Occasionally, her efforts paid off and she'd be permitted to spend a night or two at this cousin's house or that cousin's house, but she was never able to stay longer than a very short-term basis. The reasons why Tiani couldn't live with anyone else were varied. There wasn't just one reason, but regardless of the why, Tiani continued to reside with her. When Tiani started spinning tales about Rashida, she tried not to be bothered by the hurtful things Tiani said about her. She reasoned that Tiani just needed counseling to help her through this difficult time. Rashida even told the social worker that had been assigned to Tiani that she wanted Tiani to speak to a professional. She made it clear that she needed help setting that up, but unfortunately, nothing ever came from that. So, 
she also told the school the same things, hoping that they could help since they knew and documented Tiani's behavior and performance at school. Hell, Rashida even called the courthouse to have it documented that Tiani really needed intervention. Even though Tiani's behavior had plummeted to lower and lower depths, and this was well known, Tiani never saw a counselor. And I can't help but ask why. This girl was in the system in every way you can imagine. How is it that all of these officials, professionals, and experts failed to mandate or provide grief counseling and therapy for Tiani? Rashida had a sinking feeling that without help, things would continue to escalate. And she was right. Not long after moving to Lake Elsinore, Tiani's occasional ditch class turned into full-on truancy. She started completely disappearing. At first, she was hanging with familiar faces her family knew, so it was easy for her family to pull up on Tiani and take her back to Rashida. But no sooner would she be brought back, would it all happen again. It was a cycle until Tiani decided she didn't want to be found so easily anymore. So, what did she do? She made new friends, unknown friends, in areas her family didn't live in or have connections to. She began dating a guy two or three years older than her who definitely was not suitable for her. Turns out this boyfriend is actually in prison now for killing another girl at a motel. Unfortunately, I don't know either of their names, but that story is a terrible branch off of Tiani's story that shocked me. Anyway, Tiani started smoking weed and hanging with older kids, getting into things she shouldn't. Rashida believed in her heart that Tiani just needed to spend time with Teresa at the hospital, but Tiani refused to go see her. In her mind, her mother wasn't there and there was nothing to see. Rashida told me that she believes it was those thoughts about her mom that finished off Tiani's will to push through. She thinks Tiani felt like she didn't have a reason to keep fighting. She just wanted to hide away from the heavy burden of everything. And really, Tiani wasn't doing anything no one else had never done before. Sometimes life gets so damn heavy, you just want to run. I can't imagine feeling that as a teen on top of everything else Tiani dealt with. Shit, I'd want to find respite too. So if you can believe it, all of this happened within only a couple of months. And just as soon as it began, the living arrangement was over. Tiani's persistence to leave led to her social worker agreeing to remove Tiani from Rashida's care. But the question of where Tiani would go hung in the air. This is how Tiani wound up with her father, Darian. Now, you might be wondering where he's been all this time. And that's exactly what I thought. But Rashida said that Darian has always been in Tiani's life, but she just lived with her mom. It was a relief to learn that Tiani knew him and her half-siblings well, even though her mom had primary custody. I still thought it was curious, though, that Tiani didn't live with Darian when Teresa was first injured. Rashida said Darian didn't protest Tiani living with her then, but when Tiani complained to her social worker, Darian became her guardian. Unfortunately, the move away did not serve her well. I'm sure Darian did the best he could, but Tiani was in such a bad place mentally and emotionally that it was really hard to effectively parent her, especially since he'd never had to do so full-time before. He owns a small business and works long hours, which meant Tiani would be alone and outside of adult supervision to do pretty much whatever she wanted most of the time. 
which of course is exactly what she wanted when she left Rashida. Without the gaze of watchful eyes, Tiani was back to being MIA and this time the stents of disappearance got longer and longer. Before anyone knew it, Tiani and her friends were hanging out in motels doing God knows what. Tiani posted one reel after another on her various social media pages of some of their activities. The short videos were full of twerking, cursing, flipping the bird, smoking weed, and flashing what looked like a gun, which blew my mind. Now, I say it looked like a gun because I'm no gun expert, and I can't say if it was an actual gun or a BB gun as suggested by a few people in the comments. But one thing is for certain, Tiani was doing things she had never done before. Even more disturbing than the reels were some of the comments under her pictures from old, super grown men. Comments ranging from hard-eyed emojis to sexually suggestive gifts. There were even some comments that actually asked how much. As in how much it would cost to sexually abuse this child. Yo, it was just so disturbing, but I was happy to see other people with normal brains getting those pedos gathered. There were a lot of people who did that, thank God. Not that it would stop these weirdos from engaging in sex trafficking, but it was good to see people calling them out and reporting their profiles. Anyway, when Rashida and her family got wind of this, they questioned Darian and demanded to know why he was paying for rooms for Tiani. The long and short of it was that Tiani expressed that she didn't like staying at his house. Her argument was he was always at work and his house didn't feel like home. Tiani continued living her young life in the shadows, pulled deeper and deeper into darkness over the next two and a half years until her body was recovered. In hindsight, Rashida wishes they stayed in Teresa's home with Tiani. Sometimes she wishes she could go back and fight harder to keep Tiani with her at all costs. She stares down the rabbit hole of guilt and regret, contemplating what-if scenarios over and over again. Her grief is a gut-wrenching reminder of the torment loved ones try to cope with after facing the murder of a loved one. With all of this background information and more brought to the surface during the investigation, it was abundantly clear to investigators that the last couple of years of Tiani's life had been really hard and there were a lot of leads to follow. So you may have noticed my telling of the story has been extremely light on the details about the actual investigation and without theories. Well, the reason being is that there aren't any Facebook groups devoted to discussing what happened to Tiani, and there have been very few details shared with the public by police. What I can tell you is that the week before her death, Tiani was sick with COVID, and she had been staying with her older sister on her dad's side. She'd finally gotten well and left her sister's house with some unknown girlfriend on January 4th. She was said to have been with this person up until the day she died on January 7th. On the night of the 7th, Tiani went to see her dad at his shop in Inglewood, and she was upset about something. Rashida believes Tiani had a feeling herself about what was coming because of what her dad said about their last interaction. On January 21st, Darian told Christina Gonzalez for Fox 11 News in a heartbreaking interview about his tearful final interaction with Tiani. He said Tiani mentioned that she was going to a party later that night. 
but he could tell something was wrong. Tiani was clearly upset and then she began crying, saying that no one but her mom loved her. Darian said he vehemently denied that and told Tiani he loved her. They continued talking and Darian tried to comfort Tiani. The conversation eventually progressed to topics that weren't included in that interview with Fox News. According to Rashida, Darian said the conversation with Tiani segued to her asking him for money and a gun. Yes, you heard that right. She asked for a gun to protect herself. It's not known who Tiani was afraid of, but obviously she felt she needed protection. Now, it should come as no surprise that alarm bells went off in Darian's mind, and now that bad feeling he had earlier hit him like a ton of bricks. He was worried something really bad would happen to his baby girl, and he didn't want her going to that party. In fact, he didn't want her leaving. He wanted her to stay with him at the shop. But before he could convince her, in walked Tiani's mystery friend, whom she'd been with the last few days. The girl interrupted Tiani's conversation with her dad, saying, let's go to Tiani. Darian said he begged Tiani not to go, but she went with the girl anyway. I don't know why she left with this friend, and I don't know what more Darian did to try to stop her. But before she could leave, Darian grabbed her in a tight hug, kissed her, and told her he loved her. With that final goodbye, Tiani was gone. That was the last time Tiani was seen by anyone in her family. Now, according to Rashida, Darian's store has cameras positioned in such a way that if recording, they would have recorded the car Tiani was in and who she left the store with. However, CHP officer Roberto Gomez was quoted by Fox News saying that there isn't surveillance footage available in this case. I can only assume that includes cameras at and around Darian's shop, although it's a little weird that none of the other businesses in that area had cameras that could have, at the very least, recorded the car. Darian's shop is located in a really popular and busy shopping district on Market Street. The shop's neighbors are CVS Pharmacy, a theater, multiple clothing stores, and several other businesses. Like I said, I find it really hard to believe that there's no surveillance footage anywhere. I have to have hope that had footage been available at Darian's store or anywhere else, it would have been collected and analyzed. But the lack of updates from investigators doesn't promote much confidence. Yes, I know this is an active investigation and the police can't share too much, but dang, can they at least say something? Rashida told me the investigators only tell her and her dad that they can't track down every lead and they will call when they have an update. She described her most recent conversation with an investigator just the day before our interview as cold and uncompassionate. She said she didn't want to play the race card, but she couldn't help but wonder if racism is at play here. Needless to say, she's not convinced that all that can be done is actually being done. And can you blame her? After all, CHP is the same agency responsible for investigating Teresa's hit and run, and they still, to this day, haven't gone to retrieve the video footage of that accident. 
even though there was someone who had recording. So yeah, at this point, the track record for solving cases of Black women and girls isn't looking so good. Actually, this is a point I'll circle back to a little later. And when I think about high-profile homicides, I can recall press conferences and general updates from the police about their efforts during the investigations. When Brianna Kufer, who was murdered a week after Tiani, the public got a step-by-step accounting about that investigation, and it appeared that law enforcement was incredibly motivated to apprehend the man who killed her. Politics aside, even though they are very much at play, people don't want killers running rampant in general. So it was the public's best interest to find the guy, which I get. What I can't for the life of me understand is why that same energy wasn't applied to whoever killed Tiani. Obviously, we don't want some child killer running around our community unchecked either. But one case is solved and the other is wide open without so much as a general update. What gives? And listen, I'm not the only one who has asked this. Two weeks after Tiani's body had been found, her family began to protest and advocate for her in the press. The family called out the fact that there was no reward for information put up, the media was slow to report about Tiani's murder, and law enforcement moved at a glacial pace with the investigation. In their eyes, there were strong leads available. But where was the action? It looked like none of the entities who should care actually cared, and Tiani's family called it out, and their advocacy started to pay off. Soon, the community became aware of what happened to Tiani and rallied behind her family to call for justice. That community support forced some action, and Los Angeles County put up a $10,000 reward for information. Captain Jeff Lofton of the CHP also announced during a press conference on January 22nd that they wanted anyone driving in that area with the dash cam to come forward. The hope was that maybe some unsuspecting driver captured footage of those responsible for Tiani's death. One person did answer the call to action, miraculously, because hello, it's like a whole two weeks after Tiani was murdered. But unfortunately, their dash cam recording was outside of the frame of time the police were looking for. And just like that, all talk of video footage began and ended, and public discourse about the case came to a halt. That is, until mid-April, when an announcement was made that the reward for information about Tiani's murder had been kicked up to $120,000, where it still is now, thanks to $50,000 each given by the City of Los Angeles and the State of California. Following suit, LA County increased its contribution from $10,000 to $20,000. This was great news, but it preceded bad news delivered by the Los Angeles County District Attorney. D.A. Gascon stated that authorities suspected that Tiani had been a victim of sex trafficking. As shocking as this was to the general public, it's no surprise to people who have seen her social media. As I mentioned before, it had a lot going on, so I can see why the D.A. made that announcement, although the source of this revelation isn't known either. It could be they found additional evidence, but again, I don't know. Now, you'd think with all this talk about Tiani, the reward money, and sex trafficking, that all that would be enough to keep her case front and center in the local news. 
But that did not happen. Again, Tiani's story faded to the bottom of the news cycle and public interest also faded. More than a month would pass before Tiani would again be mentioned in the press. On May 24th, ABC News reported that the Los Angeles City Council would consider a motion that Councilmen Marquise Harris-Dawson and Kieran Price initiated two weeks after Tiani was killed. The councilmen wanted the City and Human Rights and Equity Department, along with the police department, to perform an equity analysis that delves into the violence Black women and girls face here in Los Angeles and the rate at which violent crimes against this demographic are solved. The councilmen also made a point to call out that police didn't even ask the public for help about what happened to Tiani until two weeks after her body was discovered. They basically stated the obvious that while violent crime can and does impact all demographics, Black women and girls are disproportionately impacted and law enforcement drags their heels in solving their cases. I think this is a good thing, but I also can't help but wonder how many more analyses do we really need to know that all of these institutions are racist and biased against Black folks, especially Black women. But I digress. Sadly, that May 24th mention of Tiani was the last time I've read or heard her name mentioned in the local mainstream media. Tiani's 17th birthday just passed in July, and instead of celebrating at Raging Waters, her family is waiting for justice and mourning her death. Rashida hopes this episode will help raise awareness about what happened to her beloved cousin. Maybe you or someone you know knows something that can propel this investigation forward. If you were with Tiani or saw her on January 7th, please come forward. Even if you think it's the tiniest, most irrelevant detail, please call the California Highway Patrol's Major Crime Unit at 323-644-9557. For the rest of you listening, we need to make sure that that action is taken when leads are brought forth. If you're feeling froggy, you can also ask for an update. You can call, tweet, email, or all of the above. The links will be in the show notes. I also included a link that will automatically populate an email with a message addressed to DA Gascon and the chief of staff for the city council office. All you literally have to do is click the link and then press send. No need to say anything else unless you just want to. Please remember that the point of this is not to actually get a response. The point is to remind these officials that we still care about Tiani and want them to know we are impatiently waiting for an update. The more people who show up for her, the more motivated the powers that be will become. This is your chance to help. So snatch it up and let's get justice for Tiani. As always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to your support, this podcast has reached 12,000 downloads worldwide with only 25 episodes. It's amazing to me and I'm always surprised that people are listening, but I thank you so much for hanging in here with me and caring about these stories. Together, I know we can do great things. Catch you next time on Massage Noir Murders.